Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Father's Day is this Sunday. It's a time to celebrate and reflect on how your dad or dads help shape your life, for better or for worse. But have you thought about how you affected your father? Well, scientists now know that men experience measurable changes when they become parents, and researchers at Emory University have been looking at that connection. They've conducted interviews on the rewards and challenges of being a dad with new fathers from Metro Atlanta and are exploring the hormonal and neurobiological changes that come with being a dad. James Rilling is chair of the Department of Anthropology. He and his colleague Craig Hadley are working on the study. And Professor Rilling joins me now from the studio at Emory University. Hello, James. Hi, good morning. Hi. So what were you trying to understand with this study? Well, um, most recently we, we interviewed 120 fathers about the rewards and challenges of fatherhood. And we've done a lot of work on sort of the, the biology of fatherhood, but we wanted to learn more about uh, men's experience as fathers and what they're, there's more of a sort of qualitative study. Um, and so the, I think one of the most interesting things that emerged to me, we learned a lot about what men find rewarding and challenging about fatherhood. But to me, one of the most interesting things was the number of men who spontaneously told me how therapeutic they found it um, to be asked to talk about their experience as a father. Um, I had one, one father who, after we got done with the interview, we normally compensate our participants for their time. And he looked at me and he said, well, why are you paying me? I should be paying you for the therapy <laughs> session. So, um, so just talking about it. Yeah, I think, you know, I think um, fathers are very rarely asked to talk about that experience. And we often feel like, you know, mothers shoulder a disproportionate amount of the burden of parenthood. And, and we really shouldn't be complaining and we should, shouldn't talk about the things that we're struggling with. But what I found is that the men that I interviewed uh, really benefited from being able to talk about that. And you're also a father. Is that something that you felt that there's a, you know, well-intentioned and for good reason focus on mothers? Yeah. I, and just as you say, I think I think it's for good reason. Um, but, you know, we're here, too, and we're, we're an important part of the equation. So um, we shouldn't be forgotten about. And I think there, there's been a lot more research on mothers than there has been on fathers, and for good reason, but mm -hmm. um, we need to study fathers as well. Well, the reporting on the study says that you're exploring the neural basis of human social cognition with a particular emphasis on father, <laughs> fatherhood. First of all, what does that mean? Yeah, well, we're interested in the both the hormonal and the neurobiological changes that men experience as they transition to fatherhood. So. It's been known for, for a long time that when women become mothers, they experience some pretty dramatic hormonal changes that prepare them for motherhood. But more recently, there's now evidence that uh, fathers are also experiencing hormonal and neurobiological changes, although they're, they're a bit more subtle. So um, both our research group and others have shown that fathers experience a, a decrease in testosterone levels. Um, and that's probably quite important for fathers, uh, especially with newborn infants, because testosterone can interfere with things like impulse control and emotion regulation. 
And those are things that we really need to be able to do effectively when sometimes we're confronted with, you know, a, a screaming, crying infant that can occasionally frustrate parents. So mm-hmm. I think that that, um, that decline in testosterone is probably important um, to ensure that, you, you know, in, in rare cases, fathers don't harm their infants in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the case that testosterone is involved in, uh, you know, libido and sexual motivation. And so one thought is that by decreasing their testosterone levels, fathers are able to sort of redirect some of that energy towards parenting and towards um, raising their, their children. What, um, what other yeah, kind sorry. of uh, um, hormonal changes? Because this was something surprising to me, that there's a change in oxytocin, which is something that they call the bonding hormone. Can you explain that? Yeah, that's right. So, well, oxytocin has traditionally been thought of as a maternal hormone, and that's because it's very important for childbirth and for breastfeeding um, and also for mother-infant bonding. But again, it's now become clear that uh, oxytocin levels increase in fathers, uh, although not they don't get the same dramatic increase that mothers do, um, and that uh, oxytocin is important for um for, for father-infant bonding as well. Um, we've actually done a study where we, um, we give fathers additional exogenous oxytocin above and beyond what they produce themselves, and we look at how that affects uh, their brain function as they view pictures of their toddler children. And we found that it increases um, brain activation in areas of the brain that are involved in reward and motivation, and also areas that are involved in um, empathy. And so we really think that these, um, these increases in oxytocin help to uh, increase the motivation to parents and also um, uh, paternal empathy. Huh. So that's interesting. I mean, I know you're just doing a study right now, but potentially down the line, maybe a man who's having trouble adjusting to fatherhood, maybe hormonally oxytocin could help them? Yeah, I mean, I think you're exactly right. So um, the hope is that for situations in which parents are depressed, uh, so for example, you know, we know uh, postpartum depression is a huge issue um, for mothers, but once again, um, there's also evidence that fathers uh, suffer higher rates of depression than, than men who are not fathers. And that often comes with, uh, as you suggest, kind of a, a deficit in uh, parental motivation. So the hope is that oxytocin or a drug that you know releases oxytocin might be able to normalize uh, parental motivation in situations like that, or in conditions where um, people are drug dependent or alcohol dependent. There can often be um, deficits in parental motivation, and so it might be helpful in those situations as well. So who are the fathers that you interviewed? Are these new young fathers, older fathers, all involved in the lives of their children? Yeah, it's a range of of fathers. There were 120 fathers. Um, We interviewed uh, 40 fathers were were white fathers, 40 Asian and 40 African-American. And they're fathers with children of different ages. We wanted to get a sense of how the challenges um, and rewards change as your children progress through different um, different life stages. Well, so it doesn't take a research study to tell you that a new father is probably going to be exhausted from getting up and changing diapers. 
yeah, in, the, in yeah. the middle of the night. But did you find any significant differences in the neurobiological or uh, other changes of men of different stages of fatherhood? Yeah, well, I think um, so. Some of the challenges that you know fathers with newborns faced, as you suggest, one big one is uh, sleep deprivation, and uh, because we don't have very good uh, paternal leave policies in this country, you know, you often have situations where fathers and also mothers are up all night and then they have to work the next day, and that can be a big challenge um, for some. For some parents who have infants with, you know, temperaments that lead them to cry a lot, uh, infant crying, especially when it's prolonged and inconsolable, can be uh, very stressful for parents. And if you combine that with sleep deprivation, um, it can be kind of a, a volatile <laughs> combination. Mm -hmm. um, fathers also talk a lot about uh, kind of the financial pressure that they feel. And, it, you know, we think of it as kind of an old-fashioned notion that, that fathers are the breadwinners because, of course, mothers are too now. But a lot of fathers still consider themselves the ones who are primarily responsible for uh, providing for their children. And a lot of them report um, feeling a lot of pressure uh, in that regard. Um, and I, I guess the other thing that I found quite interesting is um, when fathers talked about how their relationship with their uh, with the child's mother changed um, when they became you know once they had a child, and so as you can imagine, a lot of the uh, attention and affection that the mother um, you know devoted to the father gets kind of redirected to the infant, mm -hmm. and everybody agrees that that's uh, the way things should be, but still. A lot of fathers noted um, kind of a, a, a loss of uh, intimacy in their relationship. I had one dad who um, said that basically he felt like they uh, transitioned from being lovers to roommates yeah. uh, after they had children. Yeah, a story so. we've heard often, certainly, yeah. but it's interesting to hear it in this kind of context. My guest is James Rilling. He's professor of anthropology at Emory University, and we're talking about some research in progress about the neurobiological and hormonal social cognition of fatherhood. Um, so, yeah, so you're talking to some of the sort of social aspects, the whole idea of like being the breadwinner, being the provider, what happens inside of a relationship. So uh, this is something interesting, too. Jennifer Mascaro, she's one of your colleagues at Emory. She found differences in the way that men respond to babies based on gender. Now, I know this isn't your research, but did you find any reflections of that in your studies? Uh, yeah, actually, we, we collaborated on that work. And, and Jenny, as you pointed out, led it. Um, and, you know, we showed, for example, that uh, fathers sing more to girl to to their girls than to their boy um, children, and they um, express more sort of empathy towards girls than they do towards boys. And they also um, engage in more rough and tumble play with boys than girls, and use more language um, related to achievement when they're talking to boys than to girls. So, Even babies, just infants. Uh, these were toddlers mm -hmm. so between the ages of one and three. So, um, yeah, those um, kind of biases towards kind of socializing children um, into different gender roles seem to emerge um, pretty early, at least in the sample of fathers we looked at. And not even conscious, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think a lot of times it's not conscious. I think you're right. I think you're right about that. So if we take the long anthropological view, how do these hormonal social changes and behaviors 
change or serve the species? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it's interesting. I think humans are, are very interesting as a species because anthropologists and biologists would characterize us as what, what you would call a cooperative breeder, which means that if you look across human societies, um, mothers typically receive help in raising their offspring, but, but the source of that help can be quite variable. So in some societies, it's fathers who are helping. In some societies, it's grandmothers. Uh, in some societies, it's you know, aunts, uncles, older siblings. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see that th there do seem to be these hormonal changes that prepare fathers to, to sort of get involved and help with um, caregiving. So it's almost like we see um, this sort of evolutionary signature uh, in the biology of men that's, that's showing that they have been important in, um, in caregiving throughout you know, much of human evolution. And throughout much of human, evo human evolution, many cultures have not had our idea of the nuclear family, you know, the mom, dad, it's usually an extended family. So I'm curious about what you found about fathers who were not necessarily involved with their children's parenting. Were there hormonal measurable differences for them? Yeah, well, that's a great question. We haven't looked specifically at that. As you can imagine, most of the um, men who sign up for research on parenting are, are pretty good parents and pretty good fathers. Um, so we didn't have too many fathers who considered themselves bad or uninvolved fathers. But I think um, what you do see a lot of the time is when fathers um, are less involved or less able to be involved, um, often you find things like grandmothers stepping in and doing um, a lot more or other family members. And that's kind of a common theme actually in the literature is this sort of trade-off between uh, paternal and grand maternal investment. Um, th there's often a trade-off like that. And there's even debates uh, about human evolution, about how important grandmothers versus fathers have been in terms of um, sort of provisioning children and helping mothers to raise children. Um, so that's still an ongoing debate. How about research into different species? I'm not sure if you've done this research yourself, but how other mammals, other animals uh, treat their children as fathers to that parental bond? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it turns out that only about 5% of mammals um, and only about 5% of mammalian species are males involved in caring for the offspring. Um, and you see it mostly in uh, rodents and in primates and in carnivores. Um, and among primates, you tend to see it, um, interestingly, not so much in our great ape relatives, you know, the, the animals that are most closely related to us, but you see it more in um, some of the South American monkey species. And it's clear, what's interesting is fatherhood has actually evolved multiple times independently in different lineages. And we think that it probably evolved uh, independently in the, in the human lineage as well. Um, and, and one theory about sort of why it evolved in humans is that um, males in particular were really helping to uh, provision their offspring, and that would allow um, women to have sort of shorter interbirth intervals and allow them to reproduce at a faster rate. Mm -hmm. and if, actually, if you compare humans with other 
primates like chimps and uh, orangutans and gorillas, um, we have much shorter interbirth intervals. And it's thought that that's because mothers get this help in, in provisioning their offspring. Well, Father's Day is this Sunday. Based on your research, what would be a meaningful way to thank a father or a father figure besides tools or ties or electronic gadgets? Uh, I think just sort of letting them know that, you know, we understand uh, some of the pressures that they're under. Uh, over the last 50 years, um, fathers are reporting more and more kind of work-family conflict. Uh, the demands at work haven't diminished at all, but but they're being asked to do more um, at home and just kind of acknowledging that. And then just sort of pointing out that, you know, there's all kinds of evidence that the time that they spend with their children, um, especially when they're engaged, um, is really time well spent. It's important for their children's development. Um, and I think those are always important messages to keep in mind. James Rilling, thank you so much for speaking with us. That's my pleasure. Thanks. And happy Father's Day in advance. Oh, I appreciate that. James Rilling, he's professor of anthropology, in fact, chair of the anthropology department at Emory University. And we would like to hear from you. How did your dad change your life, psychologically or socially, when you became a father? Let us know in our Facebook group, GPB Radio's On Second Thought. That's all we have time for for today. But in honor of Father's Day, we're going to leave you with James Brown. Papa's got a brand new bag. Back tomorrow with more of On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Thanks so much for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.